Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Listen, I'm excited about being here with you this morning. How many of you are ready and hungry for the Word of God? Come on, I love it. That's exactly right. So, you know, one of the challenges that we have as preachers and teachers as we come up here on a Sunday is really choosing what we're going to speak about. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through Sea Dogs and Sinners, that that series in the book of Jonah. And I love it because I love teaching through the book of the Bible. We're going to teach the Word of God. There's no doubt about that. But teaching through the book of the Bible, I know Wednesday, okay, I've got to study for Jonah chapter 1, and then we'll move to Jonah chapter 2, and then 3. It's real simple. But coming up on a Sunday and just doing a one-time message, it's like, Lord, what am I going to teach? And so I just want to let you in a little bit of my process as I'm praying through and struggling through this during the week and during the month leading up to this. It's like, Lord, what are you speaking? What is the now word of God that you want to speak to your bride? What what is it that you want to communicate? Lord, what is it that you're highlighting right now? And so I take a look at culture and I begin to just kind of see what's going on right now in our society, all the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I begin to ask God, how can I speak life into that? I want to speak life into that. And one of the things that the Lord is highlighting this, this, this week for me, this month for me, it just seems to be this season is relationships. Relationships. The Lord is is highlighting relationships. And I've titled this message, More Like Love, because I believe in this season, the Lord is highlighting that we are to look more like love. You know, in a culture that's really obsessed with being famous, you know, we're trying to throw out their latest and greatest TikTok video or the, the latest and greatest immigrant Instagram post, and we're trying to really become famous and, and climb the ladder of, of life, so to speak, so that we can show everybody we're worthy. And, and, and in a world where there's a lot of division and a lot of, you know, fighting, it seems to be the norm in a world where, you know, I'm right, you're wrong mentality, and if I draw the line in the sand and you don't agree with me, we can't be together, you know, type of mentality, the Lord, I believe, is saying, listen, what the, what's missing, what's not quite there, Adam, is love. Love. I need you to look a little more like love. And Jesus begins to define what that love is supposed to look like. Jesus in his ministry sets up some boundaries, if you will, in how we are to relate to people. If you were to talk to psychologist or a uh, medical expert in the relationship field, they'll tell you that there's typically four basic types of relationships. There's family relationships, there's casual relationships, there's friend relationships, and there's romantic relationships. Now, within those relationships, they are defined by the boundaries that are set up in them. You know, like family relationships for my house, you got the key to my door, you've got the code. You can just put in the code. You can open the door. Nobody's going to question you if you open the door. You don't have to call me first. You don't have to knock. A lot of times they do call because they forget the code, but you can just press in that code and they'll walk right in the door. Now, if you're a casual relationship, you don't have that code. I didn't give you that code. And if you walk in my door, we live in Florida, okay? We all carry. It could get real, real dangerous, right? You don't have, I've set up a boundary. You don't have that. Yeah, yeah. So my, my romantic relationships, it's actually singular. I only got one and nobody has access to that except me. And so there are boundaries and it's those boundaries that begin to define those relationships. And Jesus in his ministry sets up these boundaries, if you will, to teach us and to show us what love is supposed to look like. 
And so I just want to take some time this morning with you, and I want to begin to look at the life of Jesus and the fact that he is in us and empowering us and encourage us to follow in his footsteps of what true love is supposed to look like. And so if you would, grab your Bibles and turn over to John chapter 13. We're going to be reading verses 34 through 35. And if you didn't bring your Bibles this morning or if you don't have your phone out, that's okay. We'll post them up here on the screens. But John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35 Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also have love one for another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And so Jesus is literally taking his disciples aside and he's like, hey guys, hey, hey I'm going to give you a new commandment, love one another. And I would imagine, you know, the disciples are kind of scratching their head like, we, we don't get it, Lord. Like, this is a command we already know. We know that we're supposed to love. We know that we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love our neighbor as well. Like, this is not a new commandment. But he says, yes, it is a new commandment. I have come and I've taught you how to love. I'm the very definition of love. My actions, my words, my thoughts, they all represent what true love is. And I have lived with you long enough to where now you've seen it. And so I'm giving you a new commandment that you are to love, but you're to love like I'm going to show you to love. And I love it. And one of the reasons that Coastal Family exists is to equip and empower us to bring heaven to earth. And one of the ways that kingdom, the way that kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God is established here on earth is through relationships. And so I think relationships are of absolute necessity. How do we relate to one another in the body of Christ? How do we relate to one another outside the body of Christ? Because how we relate to one another really testifies to the true and the authentic love of Christ. And Jesus, by his very lifestyle, begins to define what true love is supposed to look like and what the power of love looks like so that you and I might look a little more like love. And Jesus didn't walk around just saying, I love you, Peter. Oh, I love you. Martha didn't open up her lunch pail and go, oh, Jesus left me a note. I love you. That's so awesome. Like, it's, it's, those things are great. Those things are reassuring. Tell people you love them. You know, women need to hear that you love them. And, and, and since I've been married, I've realized you got to tell them more than once. You know, I don't know what it is, but women tend to, to, to remember absolutely everything except that one thing. And so you got to constantly remind them that you love them. You know, when I got married, I told my wife, I love tacos. End of story. Never had to bring that up again, ever. She didn't wake me up in the middle of the night. Adam, Adam, what, what, what's going on? Is everything okay? What's going on? Do you love tacos? <laughs> what? Do I love tacos? What are you talking about? What is wrong with you? What time is it? Don't worry about what time it is. Just answer the question. Do you love tacos? I told you I love tacos when I met you. Yeah, but it just doesn't seem like you love tacos. Uh, okay, I love tacos. Yeah, but I just don't feel like you, I wish you told me you love tacos more. Like that doesn't happen because she remembers I love tacos, but it's important that I say I love you to her. And so yes, I'm going to say I love you to her. But when Jesus is talking about love, he's not talking about just telling somebody that you love them. He's saying you need to show them through your actions, through your words, through your thoughts that you love them. And so my question is, what does love look like? And Jesus answers that question for us. 
Jesus doesn't address so much as telling someone that you love them, but showing them that you love them. And so I want to turn over to Philippians chapter 2, and I want to take some time this morning and really show you how Jesus teaches us to love. Philippians chapter 2, I want to read to you verses 1 through 11, and you can follow along with me here. But Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort Comfort from his love. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have this same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Wow, what a powerful passage of scripture. And in there, I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus begins to teach us what it truly means to look like love. And Paul says, as he's encouraging these Philippians there in the, in the, in, in the church there in Philippi, to have this attitude that was in Christ. And what attitude did Christ have? Well, number one, Jesus teaches us how to love by giving and not demanding. Number one, giving and not demanding. If we were going to look more like love, then we have to be giving, not demanding. And I've had the privilege, my wife and I have had the privilege of counseling several couples throughout the years in our ministry time. And it's been fun. We love it. We've received counseling. Trust me, we needed it, right? And so we've, we've been on both sides. But nonetheless, it's been a blast having uh, counseling sessions with people. And I can honestly tell you, I've never had a counseling session where the wife walks in and she's like, I just don't know what it is, Adam. All he does is sacrifice his life for me. <laughs> like, I've never had that conversation. It's like, he's so demanding. He demands this, and he demands that. And the husband doesn't walk in and be like, I don't know. I mean, she just, she's so nurturing and loving and respectful, and I just don't know what it is. Like, that doesn't happen. No, she's demanding this. She's demanding that. And that's what's happened here. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to look like love, if you, and I'm the very definition of love, by the way, Jesus says, you've got to be someone who is giving and not demanding. Every great movie that I have watched has an element of great sacrifice involved. You know, recently, and, and this was one of those controversial type movies, came out several years, excuse me, years ago. Uh, it was Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody see Hacksaw Ridge? It was such a great movie. But it was one of those controversial movies, right? It's like, oh, it's one of those anti-gun, anti-war movies. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if I want to watch this one. But when I watched it, I was so inspired. Like you couldn't help but be inspired. Why? Because it didn't matter what your stance on guns was. 
It didn't matter what your stance on war was. Here you've got an individual that's willing to sacrifice his entire life. Why? To save the lives of others. It's got the element of a sacrifice. And this is what he says. One of the greatest quotes in there was, while everyone else is going to take lives, I'm going to be saving lives. Wow. I mean, it's great. We, we love to watch movies about it. We love to read books about it. But when the rubber meets the road, it's so hard for us to live it out and actually sacrifice our lives. It's hard for us to think of others more highly than we think of ourselves. Without it, you know, relationships can't grow. It will be stunted. And most of us are more accustomed to demanding in our relationships rather than giving in our relationships. And when you think about it, if you have somebody that gives and you have somebody that gives, there's nobody in need. But if you have somebody that demands and somebody that demands, you got two people in need. Giving not demanding. Think about this. Our relationship with God requires sacrifice. Pick up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus says. And and his relationship with us required nothing less than the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, on the cross. Why? Why would he sacrifice so that you and I could know what love looks like? Wow. Wow. And so in order for Jesus to show us what this love looks like, if we look at the passage we just read, he gives up several things in order to give to us. Number one, Jesus gives up the right to live like God. I want you to notice with me in verse five through six that we just read, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave up the right to live like God. He didn't hold on to the right or to the advantage or to the privileges of being God himself. And he wasn't trying to be equal to God. He was God, but yet he was willing to give that up and not hold on to it. Why? So that you and I would know what love looks like. He gave up the right to act like God. So not only did he give up the right to live like God, he gave up the right to act like God. Notice with me in verse seven, it says, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And so he literally gives up his right to act like God. And and that word in their uh, divine privileges can also mean emptied out himself. And that word emptied out is the Greek word kenos, which can mean empty, evacuate, vacate, to deprive, to divest, or to relinquish. And because it was impossible for God to come dwell among men in his godly form, he had to change his outward form to do it. And so he chose to become a man. And the only way he could do that is to to willfully, deliberately, and temporarily limit himself. And so he did. He he emptied himself. He gave away the divine privileges and he didn't become less of God. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But he gave up certain things so that he could become a man. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit and he was born with the Holy Spirit, but he needed the Holy Spirit to fulfill his ministry just like you and I do. He gave up certain things. Why? So that you and I could know what love is supposed to look like. So not only did he give up the right to, look, to live like God and to act like God, but he gave up the right to look like God. We're told in, in, in scripture that Jesus was uh, clothed with divine splendor before the incarnation, before he became a man, divine splendor. And then it says here he became a human and it was, he became a Jewish boy, right? 
dark skin, dark curly hair. Uh, it wasn't the blonde hair, blue eye pictures that we see. It was actually, he was a Jewish boy and he gave up the right of that divine splendor. He takes off the robe of divine splendor and puts on human flesh. Why? So that you and I could know what love looks like. In chapter 53 of Isaiah, we're kind of let in on a little bit of a secret as to what Jesus looked like. He says, he who believed our message, to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in the ground. And then it says, here it is, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He gave it up so that he could become you and one of I. You and, you and I, so that we could understand what love is. And then he gave up right number four, to be treated like God. So he gives up the, 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 the right to live like God, to act like God, to look like God, and to be treated like God. Notice with me in verse eight, it says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Isaiah 53 talks about, you know, he was despised and forsaken of men. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And that, that phrase, esteem him, literally means we didn't consider him important. Is that the way you treat God? Is that the way you treat king of kings? And Jesus didn't demand that we say that or that we go after that. He actually relinquished that. And he said, I'm going to give up my right to be treated like God. Why? For you and for me. So I could show you what love is supposed to look like. And if we're going to love like Jesus, we have to have this mindset of giving, not demanding. Now, the idea of giving and not demanding doesn't mean we just allow people to roll, steamroll us, you know, and just, we become these passive Christians. Oh, I'm supposed to be a giver and not a demander. Here we go. And then they just steamroll us and, and take advantage of us. That's not what's going on. No, there's boundaries that we need to set up in our relationships and boundaries are good to have in our relationships, right? We just can't build walls to keep people out. We gotta build boundaries to allow people in, right? Jesus had boundaries. Jesus, remember when he was talking to uh, the disciples, he's like, hey guys, by the way, uh, my ministry is gonna be uh, that I have to suffer, I have to be condemned, and I'm gonna go to the cross and die, and I'm gonna raise from the dead. And Peter's like, no, 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 I don't think so, Jesus. Like, no, 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 we've been boys. We've been in this ministry together you know, blood in, blood out type stuff. Like we are going after this together. We are going to, to conquer the world together, Jesus. And Jesus says what? He says something pretty harsh to Peter. Peter, Satan, get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. Wow. How could he call Peter Satan? Because he was literally talking to Satan, the one that opposed what he was supposed to do by going to the cross. And so what Jesus did is he said, Peter, that's, that's a boundary you can't cross. That's a limit you can't cross. You don't get to, to say, have a say-so in that area of my life. God has called me to do this and I'm going to die for the sins of the world. You don't get to change that, Peter. There's a boundary that has been set. And Jesus goes on to tell him, you're seeing things from a merely human perspective, Peter, but you gotta start seeing it from God's perspective. And if we're going to love like Jesus, we have to be giving and not demanding. But if others start demanding to take from our responsibility to follow God, we've got to set a boundary. You don't have access to that. That's who I am. You can't take that away from me. Boundaries are good, but just don't create that wall where now you find yourself in the dark dungeon of hurt and pain and loneliness. 
and you begin to blame everybody else because nobody is able to get into and have access to. Boundaries are good. In order to look more like love, Jesus taught us that we are to give and not demand. But number two, we need to look more like love by being real and not fake. How we relate to one another needs to be a reality, not based on fantasy that we've dreamed up, right? I mean, we are not a perfect people by any means, and our relationships need to be, you know, a place where we can be real and we don't have to be fake, and we need to create that, that safe place. You know, we're a people in process and our relationships need to be that, that safe place where people can come and process. They can be vulnerable. They can be themselves. They can start sharing with you their dirty laundry, so to speak. And, and they're not scared that you're gonna throw them under the bus or that you're gonna go talk smack behind them and throw them under the bus to somebody else. But it is a safe place. And in order to create a safe place, you gotta be real. You know, and I know you're probably like me. You know, you, you're arguing on the way to church, and you, as soon as you walk through those church doors, you're like, oh, God bless you. Like, I know. I've been there, right? You're screaming and yelling at your kids, and the phone rings. You're like, hello. Yeah, oh, yes, of course. Yes, yes. Uh, no, 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 everything's good? Yes, yes. So, I, I know how it is. You know, we tend to, to think in that in order for people to receive us and like us that we've got to somehow be fake, and that's not the reality. We've got to be real. Otherwise, our relationships can't grow. And so on one hand, it's got to be a safe place, but on another hand, it's got to be dangerous because Jesus should be in the middle of our relationships. And when Jesus is in the middle of our relationships, that old man is about to go. And it's dangerous for that old man because a new man is coming because Jesus is in the middle of this relationship. So we need to create both a safe and a dangerous place for people to be real and not fake. Now, this is what Jesus did. He exemplified this. Remember the story of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? I mean, here she is, she's thrown at the feet of Jesus and there's a crowd around, she's probably half naked and she's laying there dirty from the dust and you've got these men who could care less about her yelling at Jesus, hey, the law says that we should stone her, what do you, should, what do you say we should do? And Jesus is down looking at her and I'm sure there's tears and shame and guilt as she just lays there waiting for what's gonna happen. And Jesus begins to write in the sand. And, and we love it. We know the story. We don't know what he wrote, but we can only imagine it was their sins or, or something like that. And so, but one by one, they just, you know, walk, walk, be, you know, tail between legs and leave, leave. And so as soon as that last person leaves, you know, Jesus is watching him go in the distance and he looks back down at this beautiful woman that he loves so dearly. And he says, hey, look around. Who condemns you? And she, she looks around and then she looks back up at Jesus with, with a little glimmer of hope, and Jesus says, neither do I. A safe place. But he didn't keep her right there. What did he say to her? Go and sin no more. I love it. He empowered her by creating a safe place to go and sin no more. Now we think, no, 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 you gotta be dangerous. You know, you gotta tell them. No, don't, what are you doing? You gotta condemn them so they don't go sin no more. No, 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 Jesus says, neither do I. And it empowered her to go live a life now set apart for Jesus. That is what we need. We need to be real and not fake. We need to create safe places in our relationship. Fake relationships are based on fantasy. You know, what could or, 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 or should replaces what is. And if you begin to put on that facade, you're never gonna have a growing relationship. We've gotta be real. And so number three, to look more like love, not only do we have to be 
real and not fake, but we've got to show forgiveness and not bitterness. Mm, he did not go there. Yes. This is a hard one for many of us, I know. This is hard. But many relationships can go from zero to 60 with three words. Please forgive me or I forgive you. Wow. And it just sets a person free. A relationship flourishes when we're willing to, to forgive past hurts and disappointments and refusing to forgive is like carrying a garbage bag over our shoulders just with our past hurts. And every time somebody hurts us, we just throw it in there again and it begins to weigh us down and hold us down and we get depressed and we don't know why life is like it is and we're just so bummed about it. But in healthy relationships, there are no garbage bags. Out of love, we take the hurt and the disappointment of the past and we burn it up in the flames of forgiveness. What greater gift can we give someone than to set them free from the weight of their mistakes? When we unlock others from a past they can't correct, we free them to become all they can become. And we free our relationships to become all they can become. What are the, Jesus exemplified this again. Here we go. We're looking at the life of Jesus, right? And so Jesus exemplified this. Peter, you know, who's you know, the, the guy that thinks he's got it all together, and he comes to, to Jesus with this theological question. And Jesus takes his theological question and turns it into a, 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 a relational thing. Peter comes and says, Jesus, um, you know, I know the theologians of today are saying three times that you should forgive somebody. What do you think about this seven times? You know, seven's like that, you know, perfect number, you know, seven days of creation. You know, like, I don't know how it went down, but he says seven times and Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, <laughs> I understand you're coming from a, a theological perspective, but I want to come to you from a relational perspective. Seventy times seven. And Peter, how many ever times you need to forgive somebody? That's how many times you should forgive somebody. And then he goes on and he explains. He goes, hey, listen, I want you to think about this for a second, Peter. There's a king Okay, okay, a king. And, and, and there's a guy that owes him a billion dollars, literally in the Greek, when you read this story, he owed him a lot of money and equates to almost a billion dollars. So this guy owes this king a billion dollars and the king you know, calls him down before him and says, you owe me this money. And the guy's like, I promise I'll pay you back. I'll, I, I don't know, I'll work every day, I'll do this. I'll get you the money, I promise, don't kill me. And the king says, you know what? We're done, you're forgiven. Your, your slate is wiped clean. You no longer owe me the billion dollars. I mean, can you imagine the weight that was lifted off that guy? I mean, I got a little bit of credit card debt, and when that's gone, I'm like, whoo, you know, but a billion dollars? Like, wow, I mean, the weight that was lifted off this guy's shoulders. And you know what he does? You think he'd go away rejoicing, but he goes away and he finds this guy that owns him, like, oh, literally in the story, like $10. And he chokes this guy out because he owes him $10 and he can't pay him back and he wants it now. And the guy's like, I promise I'll pay you back. And he's like, ah, you're done. And he throws him in debtor's prison. And the, the king gets word about it. And the king says, ah, this is not the way this works. What are you doing? And the king takes him and throws him in debtor's prison. And then Jesus says something radical that nobody wants to hear. He's like, hey, if you don't forgive somebody, guess what? Your heavenly father's gonna do that. And you're like, what does that mean? I don't know, but it's scary. And so I don't wanna not forgive somebody. And the whole point of the message is how much has Jesus forgiven you? First chance, second chance, third chance, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. He has forgiven you a billion dollars. How are we going to hold somebody accountable for $10 they owe us? We've got 
to learn how to forgive and not have bitterness. Wow. So not only should we be real, not fake, should we show forgiveness, not bitterness, but number four in my final point, if we're gonna look more like love, we have to lay hold of honesty, not lies. Now, there's no way to build a lasting relationship on, on, on lies, a healthy relationship, that is. And here's the problem. Like, we often think to preserve the relationship, to, to keep the relationship going, we got to keep those secrets deep down within, and we can't tell our wife or our husband what we're dealing with because the moment we do, it's going to be exposed, and our relationship will be over. Secrets will destroy your marriage. Secrets will destroy your relationships. We have got to learn how to be honest in our relationships. We deceive those we love by rationalizing that we should be keeping these secrets for their good. Oh, you don't know my wife. There's no way I could tell it. No, no, no. Secrets will destroy your marriage. And honesty is, is literally truthfulness. And we need to bring honesty into our relationships. Honesty is not saying everything that goes through your mind. I mean, that's transparency. And you can be honest without being transparent. But honesty is the key to our healthy relationships. They've got to be based on honesty and not lies. Listen, lying to someone to avoid conflict, uh, Psalm 12, 2 talks about this. It's called flattery. And that's, that's not healthy. Flattery is not healthy. And, and again, when, you know, when we're honest, sometimes it hurts people's feelings. And that's the last thing we want to do. So oftentimes we avoid being honest because we don't want to hurt somebody. And so we just decide not to. But listen to what Proverbs 27, 6 says, says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wow. We need to be honest in our relationships. And I get it. There's ways to be honest in our relationships, right? Jesus came with both grace and truth. And so, yeah, and, and I don't know what that looks like in every situation. I can tell you that for one daughter, I'm going to go be honest one way. And for another daughter, I'm going to be honest a different way because I know how they're going to receive it. And I know how they're going to receive it. And that's why relationships need to be real and not fake. So we actually know one another and how to relate to one another. Honesty, not lies. To look a little more like love, we need to be giving not demanding. We need to be real, not fake. We need to be, uh, forgi show forgiveness, not bitterness. We need to be honest and not lie. And I want to conclude by giving you three mindsets that I really believe the enemy is using today to keep us from looking more like love. Three mindsets. Number one, conformity. Conformity. Jesus never called us to conform. He said, by the renewing of your mind, be transformed. That's what Jesus is doing. He's transforming us, not conforming us. And conformity is the idea that agreement is valued more highly than anything else. In other words, if you want a relationship with me and you disagree with me, it ain't gonna happen because agreement is valued more than the relationship itself. And culture right now is telling us to draw that line. If you believe this and you believe that, then you can't have a relationship with me. But that's not what Christ has called us to. He says to, you know, we know the saying, we've come up with the saying, you know, love the sinner, not the sin. How are we supposed to love the sinner and not the sin if our value on them is based on conformity? 
When Jesus died, the death that he died, it says that he died while we were yet sinners. It's not like we, be, we conformed and he's like, okay, now you can come. Conformity is not the measuring rod. Humility needs to be the measuring rod. Now, now, now think about this for a second. D- disagreement is somehow synonymous with disloyalty. And, and, and listen, if disagreement uh, equates to being devalued, then conformity becomes the idealistic picture of being valued. And that's just not healthy. I can guarantee you in this room alone, we've got numerous perspectives. And and I've seen in churches alone where if you didn't conform to what the the leaders believed, then you were done. And I'm not talking about closed-handed issues, guys. Hear me out. Not talking about, yeah, he didn't believe Jesus was saved. We should love him anyways and just keep him in the church and have him teach. You know, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. We should love them anyways, but I'm talking about these open-handed issues where, you know, we, we want them to conform and we're trying to make puppets and almost like a cult-like type thing. That's not what Jesus has called us to. And, and I can, t- I can go to my house. You will see two totally different perspectives. You will see my perspective and you will see my wife's perspective. And the one that typically wins out, yeah, you know, I don't even have to say it. My wife wins out on those perspectives, okay? But two totally different perspectives because we're the body of Christ. We are a diverse people and that is healthy and that is right to have other perspectives coming in and somebody saying, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm thinking this. That's healthy relationships happening. Conformity is not the measuring rod. Love is not about conformity, it's about humility. So how can we love the sinner but hate the sin if love is about conformity? The second mindset that I think is tearing us apart as well is inferiority. Inferiority. Where this, this, this is where we've bought into the lie that compared to others, we're useless. You know, we're not as good as they are. And typically this mindset causes us to kind of stay away from others because we are literally threatened by them. We're threatened by their gifting. We're threatened by their success. And we're like, oh my gosh, I can't be around these people because you feel inferior. And then oftentimes what happens is that begins to manifest itself by you now starting to dog on them. Oh, they're only successful because they compromise in their faith with Jesus Christ. That is the only reason they are successful. You know, I mean, just we come up with these and rationalize these things because we feel inferior. We've got to somehow make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And so we're willing to throw people under the bus to do so. That is a tragic mistake in the church and outside the church. And we can't allow that mindset to creep in. Inferiority brings about this false perception of who you are and it breeds lies. And the last one that I want to talk to you about this morning is superiority. Conformity, inferiority, and superiority. These are mindsets that have to be destroyed. And this is where you think you're better than everyone else. You are the cat's meow. Superiority is where you think you can do life all on your own. I don't need anybody else. I've got this taken care of. And this mindset says, I matter, you don't. And it'll manifest itself by you're having this conversation and in reality, I, I, I don't care what you say. You know, yeah, I, you know I'm, I'm listening to you, but really it doesn't matter because you don't know what you're talking about. And someone with this mindset is constantly seeking validation. And they have a hard time saying, I'm sorry. And they're constantly comparing themselves to others as well because they want to feel big and bad. And so everybody else is beneath them, right? I mean, intellectually, emotionally, and socially, and economically, everybody is beneath them. They are better than everyone else. 
Maybe they didn't have a nurturing or a loving childhood growing up. I don't know. But they were given everything. And so they developed this, this uh, mentality that says, I'm entitled, right? I, I, I deserve everything, right? That's a superiority mindset. And so listen, I just want to encourage us this morning that God has called us to look a little more like love. There's a lot of stuff happening outside right now in the world, in our families, in the church. But God is saying, listen, don't focus on that. Look a little more like love. And Jesus is the very definition of love. He's the one that showed us that giving, not demanding, is the way we do it. He's the one that showed us being real and not fake is the way to do it. He's the one that showed us forgiveness and not bitterness is the way to go. He's the one that showed us honesty and not lying is the way we do this. And so, Father, we just come humbly before you. And so we surrender our mindsets, Lord, whatever we've developed, whether it's callousness because we've been hurt or whether we just think we are better than everybody else, I just pray that you would teach us how to humbly submit to you, the King of Kings, who was willing to give it all up for us. Thank you for showing us and teaching us what love looks like even when we didn't deserve it, Lord. And I just pray your blessing over your church, your bride, your people. Have your way in our hearts and teach us what it means to love like you love. And I know in a room this large, there's many of us that are going through relational issues right now in life. It's just the reality of life. And I believe God is going to use it to grow you, to mature you. But it's really hard right now what you're going through. Maybe it's with another family member. Maybe it's with a friend. Whatever the case, God is in it. And he is the God of reconciliation. And if he can take all of mankind to begin to reconcile him by dying on the cross, he can take your situation and he can reconcile it. We serve a God of miracles. There is no situation too big for God. And if you say, I don't know, this one's too hard, Adam, to get through. I promise you, give it to him day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, and God will get you through it. And I just want to pray over your relationships right now, whatever that issue might be. I just want to speak life into it. And so, Father, I just speak life into your relationships. I speak life into these relationships, Lord. You know what needs to happen, Lord, in order for reconciliation to happen. And so, Father, just give them wisdom. Give them a strategic uh, mindset on how to restore this relationship. And I pray that you would help us to get through the pain of what somebody has done to us. And Lord, help us to remember and rejoice in the fact that you've forgiven us so, so, so much. And may that empower us to let others go. Help us, Jesus. We need you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, church, God bless you guys. I know if you're going through some stuff and you need prayer, we're definitely open to, to pray for you and to pray with you. Uh, Pastor Rod.